Franz Stiegler was one of Germany's most successful fighter pilots in World War II. He was a national hero in Germany, shooting down 22 enemy planes and earning the Iron Cross first class. Charlie Brown, no relation to the cartoon character, was born in West Virginia in 1922. The son of a coal miner, he took flying lessons as a teenager and in 1942 joined the Army Air Force as a B-17 bomber pilot. Between 1942 and the end of 1943, Charlie Brown flew dozens of missions over Germany. On December 20th, 1943, Charlie was leading a group of B-17 bombers on a mission when his plane was repeatedly hit by anti-aircraft guns and by German fighters. Charlie's bomber was so badly damaged that it fell behind the squadron and its escorts as they were flying towards England. As Charlie's bomber was flying alone over the German countryside, suddenly a German fighter appeared. It was piloted by Franz Stiegler. The bomber was so badly damaged, there, was, there were pieces missing of the fuselage, and Franz Stiegler could see into the plane where he saw young men just like himself. He saw a young man who looked like his brother who had died earlier that year in the fighting. And in that moment, Franz Stiegler did something that seemed impossible. Franz signaled to the beleaguered crew of the American bomber that he meant them no harm. And then he began flying alongside the bomber, sort of as an escort, guiding the B-17 away from danger until they reached the safety of the North Sea. And then with a final salute, Franz bid farewell to the American crew and he disappeared back into the war-ravaged skies. When this bomber landed back in England, this incident was classified and the Americans were told they couldn't speak of it. And although Franz's story was locked away in the annals of history, some quietly whispered about this German pilot who found what they called a higher call in these skies over Germany. What happened over the German countryside, a German fighter escorting an American bomber at the height of World War II, that was a miracle of unity overcoming division, of compassion overcoming hate. Today is the last Sunday before the season or before Pentecost. It's the day when we celebrate the Feast of the Ascension, when we remember Jesus ascending into heaven. And in the passage we heard a few moments ago, 
Jesus speaks to God. He prays to God, saying, Now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Protect them so that they may be one as we are one. Why protect them? So they may be one as we are one. So they may be one. We have this great calling, but how often do we fail to live up to it? How often do we fail to meet that standard? Desmond Tutu, the great Anglican Bishop of South Africa and the winner of the Nobel Prize, once said, when the missionaries came to Africa, they had the Bible and we had the land. They said, let us pray. We closed our eyes. And when we opened them, they had the land and we had the Bible. The Bible has been used to justify slavery, to subjugate women, to warrant hatred of other nationalities. Now, I'm not saying the Bible is flawed. I'm not saying our faith is flawed. What I am saying is that those who read the Bible, that's you and me, we're flawed. Jesus prayed that they may be one as we are one, yet we so often fail to live as one, to live in unity, to live in harmony, to live with compassion, to live with love. And we don't have to think very hard to find examples of these failings, even in our own church, where we've failed to live in unity, where we've failed to support one another, where we've created groups and divisions, us versus them. But what if we did live as one? Think about the miracle that would be. What if when one person in this church had a need, I responded as if their need was my own need? What if we were more diligent about building bridges between us than, the, than we were about defining boundaries? What if instead of searching for our differences, we first looked for our commonalities with one another? In short, what if we tried to help bring about that miracle of unity overcoming division, of compassion overcoming hate? Think about how that could change our community or our state or our nation or even the world. And frankly, don't we live in a world that needs to change? Now, I don't want to sound like an alarmist or a fatalist, but over the past 40 years, meaning more years than I've been alive, our country has been becoming more and more divided. Studies have repeatedly shown a growing chasm between, for example, Republicans and Democrats. Pew Research has found that over the past decade, Republicans have increasingly attributed negative traits to Democrats, and Democrats have increasingly attributed negative traits to Republicans. In other words, what the data shows is Republicans increasingly think of their Democratic neighbors as lazy and immoral, and Democrats think of their Republican neighbors as closed-minded and unintelligent. And it's not just about Republicans and Democrats. 
the majority of Americans, five to one, think race relations are getting worse in this country. And we could go on and on, gun control, abortion, gender identity, there is so much division. And it's not just in this country. If you look around the globe, you see war in Ukraine and conflict in Sudan and cartel violence in Mexico. We live in a world that is so divided, so lacking in unity. After Jesus ascends into heaven, today's reading from the book of Acts tells us who gathered in Jerusalem in the upper room, and it was a ragtag bunch. First, there were the disciples. As you know, that was an awfully diverse and even divided group, tax collectors and fishermen, and don't forget James and John, who asked Jesus if they could get special privileges when they came into his kingdom. Nonetheless, they came together in unity. Second, beyond the disciples, this group included women. That was unheard of in this culture. Women had narrow legal rights and limited access to education and strict social restrictions. It would have been scandalous for women to gather in the same group as their male counterparts, but they were welcomed in the upper room. Along with the 12, they came together in unity. And third, this group included the brothers of Jesus gathering in the upper room. Do you remember the brothers of Jesus? In the seventh chapter of John's Gospel, his brothers came to Jesus and said, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may also see the works you are doing. They didn't do this out of the goodness of their hearts. They did it because they were embarrassed by Jesus. They didn't believe in him. They didn't believe he was who he said he was. Or in the third chapter of Mark's Gospel, we're told that Jesus came home and his family, presumably including his brothers, tried to restrain him. They literally tried to tie him up. Jesus' brothers were, to use a kind word, jerks. They tried to undermine him. They didn't believe who he said he was. It seems like they were bandwagon fans, not trusting in Jesus until after the resurrection when they suddenly realized they'd been wrong all along. Nonetheless, they were invited to the upper room after the ascension of Jesus. Along with the disciples and along with the women, the brothers of Jesus came together in unity. And frankly, that's how we are called to live as followers of Christ today. Now, I want to be clear. When the followers of Jesus gathered in that upper room, their differences didn't suddenly disappear. They didn't suddenly agree on every issue of their day. However, they gathered with a certainty that the convictions that bound them together were more powerful than the differences that pulled them apart. And that is how we are called to act in the church. 
We are a church made up of people with different political views, Republicans, Democrats. I even talked to someone yesterday who was a member of the Constitutionalist Party. I didn't know what that was. We're a people with different social views, with different backgrounds, and that's not only okay, it's good. It's good especially if we can come together with a common commitment to love our neighbor, to forgive those who hurt us, to promote justice, to serve those in need, to follow Christ and to worship God. There's a beautiful prayer in our prayer book. I want to read it to you. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love that in your good time all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. It's such a beautiful prayer, and yet even as we pray these words, I wonder how many of us have people who we don't want to live at unity with. People in that other political party, or people of different backgrounds, or a brother or a sister who hurt you and is divided from you. But remember, who heard the call of Jesus and gathered together? The disciples with their diverse backgrounds and their bickering? The women with their inferior social status at that time and in that culture? And the brothers of Jesus who'd been real jerks? They came together in unity. I recently heard someone make the point that when we get to heaven, we're going to be spending a long time together, so we might as well start practice getting, practice getting along while we're here. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, paints a picture of the great schism or the great divorce between heaven and hell. In his book, hell is called Graytown, and in Graytown, everyone gets exactly what they want and no one is satisfied. People want bigger houses, and they want more money, and they want more stuff, and they want more space, and they want more property, and they end up with more and more things separating them further and further from those around them. Hell, in short, in C.S. Lewis's vision, is a giant suburb where everyone has boats and cars and motorcycles and RVs and planes, and no one knows their neighbors, and no one interacts with each other, and everyone is alone, and there is no unity, no compassion, no love. For you and me, I know it's easy to find good reasons to ignore this person or to look down on that person. Your brother may be a gossip and your neighbor may be selfish. And people in the other political party may make you bristle when they talk. But if a German fighter pilot could, could see the humanity and show some compassion towards an American bomber crew, 
at the height of World War II, don't you think that you and I could take a step or two in that same direction? In 1986, Charlie Brown began to look for this German fighter pilot, for Franz Stiegler. He didn't even know his name at first. But after he found him and reached out to him, Franz was reluctant to meet with Charlie until after Charlie's wife, Gail, had written him a letter explaining that Charlie just wanted to thank Franz for his act of mercy. The two men met for the first time in a small town in Minnesota in 1990. They talked for hours about their lives since the war. And then Franz started talking about his faith. He talked about how he prayed before every flight he took off on. He believed that his faith helped him survive the war. And he explained that he decided to help the American bomber because he felt a calling from God to spare their crew. He believed they were, and these are his words, his brothers in Christ. He saw unity above division. Even amidst the greatest divisions imaginable, when you and I ground ourselves in God's love and God's compassion, there is always hope for unity. After meeting each other, Charlie and Franz became close friends, visiting each other multiple times a year, talking on the phone weekly until Franz died in 2008. You see, it wasn't just Franz, but all of us have a higher call to promote this unity for which Jesus prayed. So I have a question for you. Where in your family is there division? Where in our community is there division? Or where in the world are people separated and divided from one another? And then second of all, how may you be called to help build bridges, to help draw people together, to help build up this unity that Jesus prayed for to God when he said, Holy Father, protect them in your name that they may be one as we are one. My brothers and sisters in Christ, will you join me in praying and then in working for the unity that Christ calls us to? Amen.